Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. I'm Michael Finan, Marketing Assistant with Harper Academic. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic calling Tappan Wilder. In our second podcast with Tappan, nephew of Thornton Wilder, we had Rosie Strub of the Thornton Wilder estate in conversation with Tappan about his uncle's play, The Matchmaker. Tappan explains more of the history of the play, but listeners who aren't familiar with The Matchmaker may be more well acquainted with its musical adaptation, Hello Dolly, which is currently enjoying a successful revival on Broadway with Bette Midler in the title role. Additionally, The Matchmaker is now available in a standalone reader edition for the first time, making now an opportune time for Tappan to give us some insight on the play. So we're here today to talk about Thornton Wilder's farce, The Matchmaker. So where does The Matchmaker fit, do you think, within the schema of Wilder's major dramas? Uh, You know, he won the Pulitzer Prize for Our Town and for Skin of Our Teeth, and this play was a huge success, Um, but where do you think the matchmaker fits within his other major dramas? Well, it's an example of my uncle's funny bone. And uh, it's something that was part of his life starting as a young man. He wrote these three-minute plays, and some of them are awfully funny. And he loved humor, and he saw as he grew older, he could be so playful with it as a tool with which to tell stories that I think reached people's uh, minds and hearts. And in the 30s, he began, he was very interested in form. So he's writing an everyman play called Our Town, and pretty soon he also decides he wants to do a Greek play. So he begins a Greek play, this is in the 30s. And then he has one or two other ideas, and then he says, well, I think I want to do a farce. And he started this before he did Our Town, conceived it beforehand, inspired by the great Nestroy, the Viennese mid-19th century genius who wrote often satirical work. Uh, And he was probably one of the first people in this country to read Nestroy. And uh, there was a very important, very hard, Viennese Argo, very hard, but uh, he was getting put into German and getting, the word was get, getting out about him and Thornton was one of the first people to read uh, a very important collection. So that inspired him. And then after Our Town left a lot of people sad and rather, and especially Mrs. Roosevelt, who found it quite depressing, he said, gosh, I think it's time for people to laugh. And he pushed it up from the group that he was working on and he finished it off with, and it opened within a year of uh, at the end of the same year that our town opened. And that was the matchmaker or that was its it was predecessor? It predecessor called the Merchant of Yonkers and it failed. It was a really bad flop. Poorly directed and uh, didn't have a lot of life in it or it didn't have the life that the play needed and it was rather formal by the great Reinhardt, the director whom Thornton admired and adored. Couldn't be more pleased that he did it, it just didn't come off. Harper's actually published that play in about 3,000 copies, and pretty soon they were all gone. 
it's often said that the play sort of died and went away until Ruth Gordon, the well-known American actress, revived it and turned it into a play called The Matchmaker. And it's an incredible story of the revival of what had been a failure and turned into a huge success. It turned out to be Wilder's biggest success, his longest-running play on Broadway. The, uh, a movie made of it is uh, the best movie ever done of any Wilder work. And, of course, it spawned uh, Hello, Dolly, one of the great progeny, one of the greatest progeny ever of any Wilder work, one of the great musicals of, of, of our, uh, of our uh, culture. And, uh, but uh, it wasn't quite... The story is a little more interesting, and uh, maybe teachers like this, or some teachers like this sort of thing. In fact, that I said uh, Harper's published it, that edition was used up because people were doing the play. They just weren't doing it on Broadway. It found a real uh, home, as it were, in schools and community theaters. It was even being done in England at the time that Ruth Gordon decided to revive it, and she had a canny... Uh, uh, way to do it, let's let's open it in England, and she opened it at the Edinburgh Festival in 1954. Uh, but there was a production in London which had to sort of, they had to get it out there of the way. There was a production of Merchant of Yonkers Merchant happening. Of Yonkers, right. So suddenly that merchant now goes away, and we have Hello Dolly, and it's this enormous success, and it makes an awful lot of people laugh, and brought an enormous amount of pleasure to Thornton Wilder, and then it becomes Hello Dolly in 1964. And, uh, a lot of people think that Hello Dolly then, I mean, that uh, the matchmaker then goes away. In fact, it does go away for a few years because when you give the rights to somebody to put on a musical, you have to withdraw the other play. And in fact, its rights were withdrawn until the early 70s sometimes because there was a movie made of Hello Dolly. Since that time, it's there. And one of the issues that, pe or one of the uh, things that people enjoy about reading this play now, and they should, is to see where Dolly came from because Dolly's so well known. So what did they use? What did they not use? They don't use the four, it's a four-act play, Hello, uh, The Matchmaker. And do they change the role of Dolly? What happens to the various major characters? It's a kind of a wonderful, uh, it's a marvelous subject and it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating issue in adaptation. Here Thornton Wilder adapts a Nestroy play and that in turn is actually based on an earlier English version and that goes back to Plautus, I can't tell you how proud my uncle was to be part of a tradition. People seeing it may not realize this, but they're getting a real PhD in education in the history of farce going right back uh, to Rome, to the Roman times. And the fact that Horace has got a Roman name, <laughs> there's a reason for that. I wonder how many people know that. That's, and he has that wonderful quote about Literature should be considered a torch race yes. rather than a furious race among errors. Right, right. And we see that in, in the Matchmaker, definitely. Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about the character of Dolly? Uh, well, she's my favorite. <laughs> she's everybody's favorite. We all identify with Dolly. That's why Dolly's so wonderful. Dolly is such a human being, uh, all her failings uh, and her, her plans, her plots. She's just all of us trying to make it. That's what Dolly is. And the Dolly of the musical, familiar to many, and the Dolly in the play uh, 
Are they very different? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Hello, Dolly celebrates the same glorious, glorious figure. And it's another wilder woman. S score one for Thornton. He absolutely admired women. His, of course, his friendship with uh, Gertrude Stein was well known. She was some gal. And uh, Sybil Colfax, the great English interior designer, was a terribly close friend. And I could go on and on about another women when we put a collection of Thornton Wilder's letters together, it's very clear that, and Ruth Gordon, the great actress who revived, turned the matchmaker into the matchmaker with her husband and the, and the great director, uh, uh, Tyrone Guthrie. Tyrone Guthrie. Uh, it was Ruth Gordon uh, for whom the part was originally written, though she couldn't play it in the uh, Merchant of Yonkers, but she, she uh, many, after that failure in the late 30s in 54, she turns it into a bonanza for her. It's her idea. It's a women's story. And the men are there along the way, and we love uh, Barnaby and we love Mr. Heckle. But it's the women that we gotta love in this show. So this play, uh, in some ways, can be considered a bit of a satire. And the theme of money is definitely a thread that keeps being teased up here and there and everywhere. Um, and of course Dolly has that famous quote about money is like manure, it's not worth a thing unless it's spread around being encouraging young things to grow. Can you talk a little bit about the theme of money in The Matchmaker? I think it's easier to talk about the theme of money in Wilder. Sure. Because this is one of his major themes. If you care to see how he sort of ends his life, you read the Theophilus North, the novel, and see what he skewers the rich in Newport, <laughs> for example. Yeah, uh, it's a very human view of money here. In the original production of The Merchant of Yonkers, it was more pointed. That was written in the 1930s. And he changed some of the speeches in there, or modified them to take some of the hard edges off. So money, uh, as it's expressed in The Matchmaker, making some very obvious points that uh, whatever you do, you have to have at least a little or you're in a lot of trouble. And he's very suspicious of people who have too much money because they begin to think because they have too much money, they're brighter than everybody else. And uh, uh, they somehow have rights that other people don't have. So there's a very strong leveling democratic sentiment here that goes back in his work even before, <laughs> I assure you, uh, uh, Theophilus North. Uh, it's rather lovingly said, but there's a fair amount of irony in Wilder all the way along. It's loving irony, but it's very real and very tough. And on the subject of money, he's very, very clear. And the fact that Dolly's going to get it and spread it around is something that pleases everybody in the audience. Because it's clear that Mr. Uh, 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 the feed and grain merchant from Yonkers, New York, <laughs> Mr. Vandergilder, he's only got half a million, by the way. Very important to point out that Thornton Wilder is dealing with a rather human guy. May I speak as a man? Dealing with a human guy here, right? And he's only got half a million. He's not a great big magnate. 
he's manageable, approachable, and we can deal with him. We can free up his money so that it's spread around to help young things grow. So can you talk a little bit about your personal experience with this play and maybe your, your uncle's feeling about this play? Maybe have you, did you ever see this play with your uncle? Yeah. Yeah, the, the revival of this play in 1954, I was then 14. And it was it played in Boston, and I remember it very well. And then I saw it in New York. Was my uncle there? My uncle would come to the openings and then disappear. He'd gather the family around the table, good luck, and then he disappeared. I think he was probably hovering in the back. If he was there at all, he was hovering in the back of the theater. He wasn't sitting there, I assure you. And uh, then I've seen it down over the years. This is a play which got, it's very expensive to do. It's very demanding. Uh, humor, comedy, farce, it's very difficult to do well. And uh, it's often was said, it was pegged as a summer theater show. You know, they, they would have the, 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 they could draw the big crowds and uh, they had the budgets to put it on. It turns out to be a lot more than that. It's one of the plays being rediscovered, as all of Thornton Wilder, in a sense, is being rediscovered. He's always been known, but it's the rediscovery of the depth of his work that is so valuable and important today. Partly that's promoted, I believe, by the understanding of our town as more than a chocolate milkshake. And going into this century and culminating most recently with the David Cromer production of that play, people know that our town is a very tough-minded take on human existence and what matters. It's not, it's not pablum. And the rediscovery of that has led other people to ask fresh questions about some of his other works. And I think people looking even at the matchmaker now realize uh, that rather how humor is harnessed to rather pro a profound investigation of frankly something we call love and envy money very very serious things and yet we all laugh at them and in laughing at them we're laughing at ourselves because we're all on the stage too and that, one of my themes, I mean, I'm not the first to say it, is how committed he was to his audience. And if you can't go to the matchmaker and see yourself a little bit in Dolly, a little bit in Horace, if you're a man striving away, and uh, uh, the gals in the hat shop. Uh, by the way, there's a lot of music in the matchmaker. One of the most moving moments in that play, if it's done right, and now I'm director Wilder speaking, is the scene of Tenting Tonight in the second act. Just extraordinarily moving, where the two boys are trying to woo these two girls and have to sing, and they join in. It's absolutely beautiful. You know, by the way, Thornton Wilder was a very fine musician. Read sheet music as a hobby. And uh, there's a lot of music in his work, and Jerry Herman is on record when he was doing Hello, Dolly, is spotting that right away, the music, musical cadences in his language and terms and drawing 
and drawing on that for his, he, he and Michael Stewart drawing on it for their uh, deathless and wonderful musical. That's true, and even in the Matchmaker, we he's he has tenting tonight, and he has them singing the sidewalks of New York, and he has Mrs. Malloy singing when they enter the hat shop. They're sort of singing yeah. anyway throughout that piece. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of Moliere in the Matchmaker. Um, you can really feel his influences on this play. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, that's in Act One, and indeed. Uh, in the actual edition he has in brackets the following lines uh, are drawn from Moliere's Lavar and then he says sometimes theaters cut it this is a four act play and they're often tempted to cut and that goes, Moliere goes there's a piece drawn uh, from directly in homage in homage one of my uncle's favorite words to Moliere, uh, which inspired him, and he put it right in there. Now he changes it around quite a lot, but it's just absolutely drawn from Labar, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, students and whatnot get a great kick out of it, comparing it to what, in fact, what what Moliere has in Labar. So all the way through that, there are little things like that too. So one of the major differences between the Matchmaker and Hello Dolly is that in Dolly they've decided to completely cut fourth act, in which we have the resolution and all of the young couples getting together, and, and Dolly and Horace getting together, and they get together in the home of Horace's sister, right, Flora Van Heusen. It, 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 yes, yes, correct. And this woman, Flora Van Heusen, is yeah. a really interesting character. I mean, right. She sort of got her smelling salts during the whole act, and she sort yeah. of, yeah. she adds a very sort of dreamlike meta quality to the act and right. I would just love to hear what you have to say about where that character come from who is she supposed to be yeah. you know Rosie I wish you could help me um, I have never seen a good answer to that and I never asked my uncle I wish I had uh, it is often claimed and it makes sense that it is a sort of homage to uh, Oscar Wilde and uh, it's a she's a character who provides all the glue so all these actors in the end can finally fall in love and get this thing moving and get to the end of the play so you need somebody like that and she's a marvelous character and she represents sort of true love and she talks about how you know denied her and it is what this play is about. It's about, he says in his famous introduction, about the youth and not just the youth seeking freedom and expression in their lives. All of my uncle's great works are trips, people going from A to B. Uh, that's why it's not just a pure farce and these characters are not just sort of cold, in the end, bloodless symbols. They are learning, they are changing, and they, you feel them evolve, and you feel a lot of humanity in them. And uh, it's not cruel. There's nothing cruel about Wilder. There never was. At his uh, funeral, or at his memorial service, his 
great friend Robert Hutchins, who'd been president of the University of Chicago, a very controversial, famous figure, used to sit, his oldest, my uncle's oldest friend, he, he dedicated a novel to him, he said that, that cruelty was a word that Thornton Wilder did not like. And uh, uh, he talks about that. And there's a great deal of, can be a great deal of cruelty in farce. A great deal of cruelty in farce. And my uncle even wrote a play called... Uh, Queens of France. He wrote, wrote The Queens of France, which is directly influenced by Moliere. And I found a letter recently that said he regretted it. Because it's cruel. It has cruelty in it. I always thought he rather liked that play, but at the end of his life he regretted it a little bit. And he said at the time that uh, uh, the matchmaker opened, um, he said in an interview which was uh, published uh, in, the, in the American newspapers, he was in England at the time, the gift to the public of laughter without malice is one of the most useful things a man can do, Wilder said. Anyone can make a comedy which is cruel. It is hard to make a comedy that is kind to give a fellow a feeling between the young and the old that is art. Uh, now, you know, we live in a time when sometimes people like harder edges. But let's remember this is a man who's trying to get inside everybody's head and not make statements, not tell people. He's trying to get into their heads where they can ring and identify with their own experience. So that is sort of Pastor Wilder <laughs> trying not to preach, but to say kind things about all of us, knowing that we're all, uh, you know, we're all imperfect and we're all struggling like Dolly Levi to make our way. I, uh, I think it's useful to be reminded of a truth that we're all familiar with, but I, need, I think we need to revisit it, especially today. We, we're living in a period of particular polarization. The sort of post-Cold post War world has led to uh, some warmth all over the place um, and cold all over the place. I think you have to remember that, uh, that my uncle often said, uh, said of his work that the, the signs I'm going to read his words here the signs are that the changes that combine people are really more important than those that separate them. He said that in 1954. He had hopes that after the Second World War, uh, we'd somehow begin to find common ground in our differences in the world and get together. Well, we're still struggling there, but it's certainly something that uh, motivated him and he his work is global work in the sense that it's done around the world. The matchmaker is produced around the world. The skin of our teeth is done. And our town, most of all, as always, the, the more, perhaps the more famous work done all over the world. So he's a global figure, not just an American playwright. Uh, and he also said, uh, or a scholar said, that I think he said it very well, he, he said, in a time of growing fragmentation and national as well as international uncertainty, it's good to find an American play that reminds us of our common nature and destiny, 
Now, that was a reference to our town, but I've seen the same scholar write much the same thing about all of Wilder's works. Well, maybe it's a commonplace to say that, but uh, what's novel about that? What's novel about it, or what's important in the Wilder case, is that plays written, in a sense, so long ago continue to be so fresh. And I think it's because, as I have often said, he asks the questions, uses language, and draws on historical material. He borrows from the past, creatively borrows from the past, going back, back to the classics and the Bible and everything else, proven insights about who we are, our strength and our weaknesses that still ring true today for each of us. And there's nothing more exciting for me when I go to a Wilder play is to pay just as much attention to the audience as to what's going on on stage. Because it is all of a piece in his works. I just want to pick up on one one point that you just mentioned, and that is the um, not just the universality, but the international sense that we have about all of Wilder's work. His three yeah. major plays on paper set in Grover's Corners, New Hampshire, yeah. in Excelsior, New Jersey, and in Yonkers and New York City. Yeah. But those plays aren't necessarily rooted in those physical locations. And that's a really important you know, point point to see in those plays. And you know, I, I'd just like you to elaborate on that if you would. Well, I think he, he, they are rooted there, in fact. Uh, although Grover's Corners, if you go by the latitude, latitude and longitude lines, turns out to be a hundred yards or so off the marble, uh, off the off the Massachusetts course, of course, uh, coast north of Boston. <laughs> no, they they yeah, there is um, you know Grover's Corners is a sort of mythical place. Everybody thinks in Peterborough, New Hampshire, they think it's Peterborough. I can assure you, uh, the other two places are real and exist. But he, I think he picked them also because they are not, they are in a sense specific places, but they are also generalizable. It's not New York City, for example. <laughs> it's not uh, Los Angeles. These are places that are, are not overwhelmed by baggage. So Excelsior is, uh, I think, the motto of the state of New York, in fact, but also it's, it's got other residences. So his places are specific, but they're easily generalizable and uh, almost international. They are free of a lot of baggage and ready for a trip. And his plays are done throughout the world. I think it's fair to say they've been translated into at least 20, 25 languages, yeah. probably more. Yeah. Yes, uh, I wish we knew more. We would know more about the plays, and we would know more about ourselves and uh, how people view American culture through the lens of these plays if we knew more about them. And in fact, that is what we are now doing. And working with the Wilder Society and with people abroad, I hope in the next couple of years to fill in the record that's out there ready to be discovered. I think it'll be very important. And of course, thanks to the, our website and thanks to the tools we have, it's not only when teachers and readers 
they can approach these uh, can not only read what's between these covers but now we're adding material about them create important material to the website so that uh, people whose interest is pricked in this and that will be able to go and be immediately gratified by reading material that never was available before. There's a huge archive of Wilders uh, at Yale and the Beinecke Library and it's being, a lot of it's being archived for the first time because there's a lot of new material in the last five years, a huge amount of new material that had never been known before. They're archiving it and increasingly a lot of that's going to be digitalized. So a lot of Wilder will be available in all kinds of new creative ways to uh, from teachers to the average reader or I think Thornton Wilder would hope the kid who sees this play and is inspired by theater the way he was creeping in illegally into the Greek theater in Berkeley and hiding behind the uh, seats uh, listening to what's going on over there inspiring him uh, to be a playwright. Wouldn't that be great? Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.